Join us at our annual conferences in Surrey, Sydney and Florida to get up to speed on this year's theme of Next Generation ITAM. For more information, head to itassetmanagement.net forward slash events. Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast, news, reviews and resources for ITAM, SAM and software licensing professionals. Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast. My name is Martin Thompson from the ITAM Review. And today I have uh, Matthias Vianden from Aspera. Uh, Matthias is uh, calling in from Arken today. And, uh, well, first of all, welcome, welcome, Matthias, to the podcast. Hey, Martin, thanks for having me. And Arken is um, on the west side of Germany. And Yeah, that's right. Your spitting distance of Netherlands, Belgium, and is that nearly France as well? Um, no, France is a little bit further away, but I can. So I'm currently looking at the border of uh, the Netherlands. So that's pretty close. Right, cool. Uh, so welcome to the podcast. I wanted to pick your brains on um, uh, SaaS, software as a service, in particular today, because um, I know this is the area of focus for you at the moment. Um, but maybe we could learn a bit about you first. So um, how long have you been at Aspera and what do you do and what did you do before you joined Aspera? Yeah, sure. Um, so I joined Aspera three years ago in 2015. And I joined as a senior software architect back then. And um, then I quickly became a team lead for our core development team. And then we realized that we do need to uh, separate things even further because Aspera was growing so fast. Um, so I then became, and this is my title now, head of solution development. Um, so we split our development department basically and two, one uh, of our heads of development, Christian, is focusing on a core product, Martrek, and myself, I'm responsible for the development of everything that is not Smartrack, except um, license control for Oracle and Smart Collect. So I'm responsible for our cloud platform, license control for Salesforce, license control for SAP, SAM Intelligence, Smartrack connector development, and all the other good things. Uh, right. that we developed. So um, SmartTrack is your sort of core historical license management platform. Yes. And I imagine, I'm guessing yes. here, but I imagine the um, Oracle stuff is still handled in France by EasyTrust, your acquisition, is that right? Exactly. Right. Exactly. And there is, basically, this is the third head of development, Stefan, uh, who is managing uh, license control for Oracle and Smart Collect. So uh, we're kind of a three-person uh, team here, however, for organizational reason, um, the guys over in France are um, are part of the USU group and um, uh, only work under the label of Espera. So um, we have close relationship to each other, but the core development here in uh, Espera is done here in Aachen by Christian and myself. Cool. And how did you find yourself at Espera in the first place? So what, three years ago, mm -hmm. what, how, how did you find yourself here? Well, a funny story. My wife works at Aspera as well, and uh, she works here uh, one year longer than myself. So she joined Aspera as a consultant back in 2014. And before that, I did my PhD. I do 
did a lot of research at RWTH Aachen University. Um, and I did that together with a large insurance company here in Aachen, with a large IT department of the insurance company, actually. So I did this since 2009, and then I finished my, my thesis and I did all my PhD defense in 2015 and was looking for a job. And then my wife said, hey, this is a fun company. Software asset management is a nice thing to do, and this is, uh, this is needed, interesting, and challenging. So why don't you give it a try and give it a look? And I was talking here with, with Kite and Christian back in the days then, and um, it made quite an impression. And I liked it very much. I liked the challenges. Um, so this is where it was. And before that, in 2009, I actually worked with a small or medium-sized company here in Aachen as well. Uh, I was working as a developer and software architect for them. Um, similar size to, to Aspera now. And um, I, I like the idea of not joining one of the big companies um, that are working here, but rather have a, a medium-sized company to work with because it's, it's way more familiar to me and I like uh, to work with people much more and not like to get into so much of politics inside big organizations. So, right. and this all became true. I, I like very much like working here with us. And is your wife still there? My wife's still there, yeah. Right, cool. Um, so, uh, thank you for that. So, um, you're obviously, you're, you're putting a lot of time and attention into software as a service. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I've done a, we, we've just come back, we, we're recording this in the um, start of June in the UK, and we've just finished our UK conference, and, and there was a lot of discussion around SaaS in particular. Uh, well, first of all, I think there's... Um, software managers, ITS managers are trying to get their head around cloud. It's becoming increasingly more um, more pressure, more spend, more focus in that area. And if you look at the top 10 vendors that they're focusing on, I would probably, I'd love to get your feedback on this, but I'd probably say the top five, or at least SaaS. Um, there's, mm -hmm. there's probably AWS in there, there's Azure, and there's other bits and pieces, but SaaS is the predominant force. And um, mm. people are trying to figure out how to get their heads around it and how to measure it and how to discover it and all those sort of things. So what, what's, your, what's yeah. your discovery? Could you share your findings? What, what techniques would you recommend for getting your arms around SaaS and, and managing it properly? So, uh, yeah, I'd like, to, um, I'd like to refer to my good friend Jochen Hagenlocher on that. And as he always says, you need to follow the money. And um, I think this is a very crucial and critical um, thing to do, especially when it comes to software as a service. Um, because with, when, when you do look deeper into software as a service, there's so, uh, so much out there or so many things out there at the moment right now. And you do want to focus your effort on the things that are actually worth spending effort on. Um, and we did a nice analysis um, with various companies and what we saw is that um, it boils down to to very few applications that actually contain a lot of the or that are worth uh, a lot of the money that you spend on software as a service and this is um, obviously Microsoft 0365 uh, however, we could discuss whether this is an, an actual SaaS application that goes more into the hybrid world because you still have your Office Pro installations on your on your desktop computers, it's most certainly Salesforce and all the the other vendors that are surrounding Facebook, Salesforce like Viva, Model N, all the other companies that built on top of of the Salesforce CRM system, 
Um, then you have ServiceNow, obviously. Um, you have some of the SAP applications like Ariba, Hybris. Um, you have some success factors and concur out there and some, some other application. But then it um, then the door opens widely. Um, however, the remaining applications and the remaining ZAS uh, spend is mostly lower than 10% on all that is remaining. So this will then include stuff like Dropbox, Jira, um, Slack, and all the other things that you find out there. However, most of the time, this is just, and we're talking about big companies here, yeah? I'm not talking about medium or small sized companies. So this will, you, your Jira subscription will be in the tens of thousands of dollars, whereas your Salesforce subscriptions will be in the tens of millions of dollars. Um, so I would suggest, and uh, this is what um, Jochen agrees on as well, or what he tries to hammer into people's mind, is to spend um, your time and effort on the on the things that are actually worth um, worth your your time. Right, and this is an extension of the good old Sam rule, which is you know the eighty twenty sure. Pareto principle, which is um, you know eighty to ninety percent of your spend is going to be in ten vendors, even though you might have five hundred or five thousand vendors in your estate. The money is going to be in the top exactly. ten: the Microsoft, the Oracle, the Adobe, all the rest of it. Exactly, and this is also a, a good approach to to cloud in general. I mean, um, what we see in cloud, and when it comes down to what you actually need when when trying to manage cloud vendors and and, and cloud estate, is that a lot of this is already quite known uh, to us and the software asset management community. I mean, if you look at infrastructure as a service and platform as a service. This is basically the same as your on-premise installation. I mean, as someone once said, it's uh, there is no thing, no such thing as the cloud. It's just somebody else's computer, and this is exactly what IaaS and PaaS is. You can do the exact same things that you can do uh, with your on-premise data centers. Uh, you need to deploy agents to do discovery. Um, you need to to run it through various. Um, metric uh, calculation units to make sure that uh, your licenses are correct. You need to make sure that you are allowed to deploy this stuff. Um, so this is very similar to, to what we as software asset managers um, are used to. And uh, SAS is no difference there. I mean, SAS is most of the time it's, it's user-based metrics. So um, it's something we know for quite some time and the things to do there are quite similar to the things we already do with on-premise installations and on-premise software. So th three things uh, spring to mind when talking with uh, customers about SaaS. Um, and I'd love to hear your approach to these. So the first one, I'll just go through all three of them at first and then make, pick off what, how, how you want to address them. But um, mm -hmm. the first one is that SaaS, as you've just mentioned, it doesn't fall into typical infrastructure. So you're not going to pick it up mm -hmm. with a normal discovery tool and you can't put an agent on it. So the first challenge is knowing that people are using it in the first place because they might have bought it you know, the, the CMO might have bought the Salesforce contract outside of IT entirely. So it's discovering that the apps are in use in the first place. The second issue that I see is people actually, even if they do identify that something is being used, it's knowing, mm -hmm. it's quantifying the usage and actually measuring that usage and do we have access to the API and all this sort of business. Mm -hmm. And the third challenge mm -hmm. is um, that the owner of the app is not, typically in IT, that it's increasingly going to be a business owner, which 
you know, so for, for, for the IT department, you would typically go to, ideally, you'd have uh, hooks into change management, you'd have hooks into architecture, you'd have hooks into the project management team, so you'd have visibility of these things going on before they happen. But for the business, it's a whole mm-hmm. new, it's a whole new ball game, isn't it? So where do we where do we even start with all of this? So I mean, you you manage discovery and and how to pick it up, and this comes up a lot in discussions. And um, what I found out over over the last year, when we did do a lot of things with respect to Salesforce. Um, is that this is typically, at least there, this is not actually a challenge because you spend so much money on Salesforce that there typically will be a lot of people that manage Salesforce already in large organizations. So if you want to, if you want to get your head around that, just, um, just look through your, um, your project inventory and uh, see what projects are currently done with Salesforce and then try to get everybody on the table and get them talking. And I had a very nice um, situation where I was sitting down with a customer and we invited, this This was a big company again, four different business units. And uh, we invited um, all of the, the various, uh, or the Salesforce representatives uh, from the various business units uh, to sit on one table and just to, to have a chat and discussion on the licensing challenges there. And the interesting thing is exactly like you said, um, they they weren't aware of the fact that the other ones were having Salesforce as well, and they were definitely not aware of the size of the other Salesforce estates. So this was the first important thing to just get them talking. And then, of course, to have all the various licenses in one place, have all the the various orgs in one system, and make sure that this is, like you said, that this we know the usage and that we can quantify it, what we can do with with our tool license control for Salesforce then obviously, but um, it can be done and it is done a lot of the time using Excel spreadsheets like it is in the in the industry. But again, to, to discover exactly your the Pareto principle, so to discover the 80% is typically not that challenging because there goes a lot of money into these applications and this is quite easy to find as also a large organization. It gets difficult if you want to boil it down to the to the small things, yeah, like find a Atlassian Jira subscription in one of the development teams of your 500 development teams. This is this is challenging and this is not easy. But again, you don't want to spend your time on managing this one Jira subscription. So this is my my get go on the on the discovery part. Yeah, so it is typically something that comes to mind, but when you do actually start working with it and are are interested in it and start digging, um, it's typically very easy to find. Then of course, knowing the usage, quantifying it, this is something, like you said, you need to you need to know about the API, you need to know um, about the license metrics, obviously, um, and then you need to pull it through the through your license management tool of choice or be it Excel and then make sure that um, you're actually aware of uh, what is used out there and that you're adhering to the various license metrics. And this is also something that I hear quite a lot is that um, people say, well, in in a SaaS world, um, you don't need to look at compliance anymore because you're compliant all of the time. Well, in theory, this this is true. Yeah. For example, again, in Salesforce, you you just are you're just able to log in and create new accounts if you're sufficiently licensed or if sufficient licenses of the specific technical type are deployed in the org. 
However, then you have a lot of different restrictions in your contracts that are not modeled technically. So there you get um, um, immediately are forced to manage these on your own. So for example, limit the number of custom objects or make sure that um, emerging market licenses uh, are sufficiently used and you don't access an org using an emerging market license from uh, a non-emerging market. And um, I mean, this all then after that comes down to the question that you addressed last, uh, finding the actual owner of this. So something that I see a lot again with, with SAM managers and um, is, the, is that it's typically hard to convince them to, to put some, some effort into, into SaaS, yeah? Because again, the, like you said, this, these applications are not necessarily owned by central IT and not owned by, by the IT or by the, by the SAM department. So this is handled off board. Um, and then the question is how can SAM managers, how can SAM people assist the business and help them to free up licenses, to bring down their costs, to use the money that they put into all of these applications, use them um, to do good and not to, to pay money, for example, on stale accounts. And um, this is an internal uh, marketing challenge, basically, that you need to do to make sure that the other departments and the business units are aware of the, of the benefits that you can do with SAM. I think it's also uh, an opportunity as well, because if they uh, address it right, then they can actually go for additional team members and headcount, can't they? They can say, look, Mr. CMO, I can manage your Salesforce estate. I can think I can save X amount, um, but I need sure. some of your headcount to do that. And that it's a way of selling ITAM outside of the IT department, basically. Yes, and this is exactly the successful projects that I saw with, with Salesforce did exactly do that. They said, okay, guys, look, we do need to get more mature on that. Uh, we do need to get somebody to manage that. And um, this is what they did. They got a good tool to support them. But most importantly, they uh, got an additional person um, to, to make sure that this is centrally managed. Yeah. And that supports all the various business units and businesses with that. So, so and I'm also this is, I said, yes, yeah, sorry. So, so, so I was going to say, at the conference last week, we heard about custom fields in Salesforce mm -hmm. and being penalized mm -hmm. for that. You mentioned geographical mm -hmm. locations. So if I've, I didn't realize this, but you mm -hmm. can you can buy a emerging country price, basically, can't you? You can buy, mm -hmm. I, I don't know what emerging, yeah. you know, like I, I imagine it's something like Far East Asia or South America, you can get it at a cheaper price. Mm -hmm. But then if you're exactly. using it outside of that territory, you get your knuckles wrapped. Um, Exactly. And also, and also um, and that, storage is quite a big problem with Salesforce as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, storage, and there again, storage is not equal storage. You have two different kinds of storage in Salesforce. Um, one is file storage, one is data storage. Um, file storage, um, there is an easy way around it. You can just put an Amazon S3 store um, to, to store all your files of your Salesforce instance. However, file storage typically is not that big of an issue um, because you get a lot of file storage per active user or active deployed license on the org. Um, the data storage is typically the thing that is critical. So data storage is um, exploding a lot, especially if you use the, the org or the instance a lot, um, then you need to make sure uh, to, to get rid of the data at one point, but maybe due to 
to certain restrictions um, that might adhere to you. You can't just delete your, your old historical data. But data retention and data retention policies is definitely something still worth investing in and thinking about. Yeah? Is it really necessary that you store your old sales records from, from 10 years ago on your, on your Salesforce org? And I definitely think it's not. So you need to think about what to do with that to, to make sure that your data is not exploding. And again, with the, with the regional restrictions, so this is something that is in Salesforce, but if you go, for example, into Viva, um, Viva has, I think, four different, um, different regions um, that you can purchase licenses for. And then you need to make sure that um, you're aware of that and um, that, that you make sure that you're sufficiently licensed for all the users accessing your, your Salesforce org or Viva org in that case uh, from the various regions. And the thing is that, again, because this is not technically restricted, you do need to look at the sums of people and you do need to look at access histories from, from these people. So this is, this is far than easy to actually do that. You mentioned um, Jochen Hackenlocker um, and, and mm -hmm. um, his advice. He, uh, another thing that he mentioned was um, that the SaaS lift only goes up, I think was his term, mm -hmm. i.e., mm -hmm. is it... With Salesforce.com, can you really build a justification for doing this? Because the price mm -hmm. always seems to go up. There's no way of reducing it. I mean, is it yeah. quite difficult so, to build a case around this? What, what's your? I mean, it's, it's more for, to me. It seems more like you're just trying to stop the bleeding rather than making things worse. It's rather than actually saving money. Is that the case? Mm. Yeah. So it's really, really hard to to save money. Um, and if you, even if you find uh, some stale accounts, and even if they are in the hundreds, it's of course hard to to get back to Salesforce and tell them you're starting from tomorrow. You're going to pay less because you need uh, fewer licenses. Because typically, you're especially. I mean, I'm, again, I'm talking about big organizations. You typically have a three-year contract, and you have a fixed number of licenses in that contract. So even though this is subscription, and in theory, you should get, just get rid of it. Um, by the by, the means of the contract, you you can't actually lift that saving potential. So the things that you should then do is um, try to to use the money wisely and not try to to blow it on on unused account. But in the case of Salesforce, try to put shield on your orgs, yeah, the security feature, put Einstein analytics in these orgs. Yeah, things that you can actually use to support your businesses, but don't spend the money on unused accounts. And also something I would advise is if you do contract renegotiations, try to put uh, something in the contract that uh, allows you to give back certain amount of licenses or actually use the the benefits of subscription, so to say, that you're able to, to give away licenses that you are not needed anymore. Or to at least have all your orgs and licenses in one place to make sure that you can uh, redistribute licenses from one org to the other. Of course, then you need to look into the details whether this is possible, but um, in theory it is possible. So then at least make sure that you don't repurchase additional licenses on, a, on another org if you could just transfer licenses from, from one org that doesn't need them in the moment. Right. And it, we've just done a case study for the airline JetBlue. And that was a very similar thing. It was about, it, that was SAP named users, but it was a case of, we know we're growing, but we want to make sure we're spending money on what we're using when we grow rather than a load of bloat. So, um, yeah, you, you can use that money and 
accounts saved into new growth as well, can't you? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, sure, absolutely. And there again, I mean, you you just said it. Um, do the things that we we do all the time. Yeah, I mean, uh, we are used to to user based licenses. We know what to do. We know how to how to save money on that. And we should definitely do the same with with SaaS applications, especially the the user based ones. So where does where does um, Office three six five sit within all this? Because it's not really SaaS, but it's not really on premise, and it's not really platform as a service. It, it's a bit of a hybrid mixture between all three. Yeah. What what's yeah. your where does that sit for you? I mean, it's 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 directly uh, there in the middle, as you said it. And I actually found a nice thing. It's called the periodic system of Office three sixty five. Um, that shows all the various Office 365 services. Um, so this is, um, and I use this as an example to make sure people understand that Office 365 is not just Office 365. So there are a lot of various things that are actually make up a an Office 365 subscription or the Office 365 services. So. This includes things obviously like Skype for Business. It also includes things like Yammer and Teams, so use Facebook for your organization. Um, of course, it includes Office Pro, um, so the desktop on-premise installations um, of your Office tool suite that is then licensed um, using your Office 365 enterprise licenses that are deployed in the cloud or that are managed there. So. Um, with Office 365, the challenge is not so much uh, managing um, one of these small things. So all these small things you can manage. The the challenge there is to to drill through the complexity of an Office 365 subscription to know um, in activities in the the specific services, know what users actually use, know what is activated as services for the various licenses. Of course, know what licenses are deployed, and then uh, you need to drill in deeper and investigate whether your your users, your accounts are actually sufficiently licensed. And if you want to find out that, it's it's far more complicated than just looking at a last login, for example, in Salesforce, because this is just one data value that you need to look at. If you want to optimize Office 365, you do need to look at various activities in all the services. And then you need to find out whether um, a another product license or another uh, set of product licenses is uh, more uh, sufficient to actually license that particular user. And this is quite a complex challenge from an optimization standpoint. Um, so this is. What, um, however, this is something that, that we managed to do. And um, this is, uh, from a development standpoint, uh, again, something that, that is fun here yeah, to find out solutions on, on, for these complicated and challenging problems. I've just found that um, periodic table of office365.azureedge.net. And we'll put a link to that in the um, the show notes. But it's a quite a good resource on getting your head around all the different components, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I definitely like that. And I like the picture as well um, because, again, it shows the, the various services and it, um, it helps people to understand the complexity of Office 365. Cool. Well, thank you very much for letting us pick your brains. Um, it's obviously a quickly evolving area. And um, mm -hmm. I think it's a, it's a good challenge for um, 
IT asset managers as well because it allows them to explore new areas of the business outside of IT and new areas yeah. of implements and it's different it's a different language and I overheard somebody talking the other day to say that we need to be less nerdy when we're speaking to the business and we need to yeah. you know and and it's 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 a new, it's brave new world isn't it brave brave new brave new area yeah. um yeah, yeah. So thanks but this is sorry after you I, I just wanted to 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 re-emphasize on that. So it's important to to speak the language um, to speak the language of um, the businesses, yeah, and make sure that the business understands uh, what you're talking about. Um, so, for example, say the businesses typically think in their Salesforce orgs, and you as as asset manager need to be able to to understand what that is, and then need to be able to to present the data in a way that the business needs. Right. Yeah, as as a as a business broker and enabler, rather than a exactly. even, though, even though you're doing governance, you, you need to be a yeah understand the the uh, the context of where it's being used as well. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So so thank you very much for doing the podcast. It's been great to talk to you, and uh, we look forward to catching up with you again soon and seeing your progress. You're welcome. Thank you very much, Martin. Thank you very much for the work that you're doing.